And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, we, uh, we come to you in need again. God, each week, Father, we come with need. We come needing to be like you. We come needing our sins forgiven. God, we come needing to be sanctified. We come needing help and strength and provision. And God, I, I pray that you would, you would call us, God, that you would move us to a deeper commitment to spend time with you, to know you, to love you, to worship you to call to you for all that we need. Father, please speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, so this is a parable, okay? Um, Jesus often taught in parables. Uh, if I can explain to you what a parable is, it's, it's, a, it's an everyday story that people would have identified with, right? So when you think about parables, they're a lot of times agricultural stories. There's the, the parable of the, the, the seed and the sower. You know, there's the parable of the mustard seed. Um, they're often kind of commerce-related or business-related parables. So you might have a parable about a business transaction or about a boy and his inheritance, right? So a lot, you have a lot of parables that Jesus taught with. And they were, they were stories that everybody would identify with, but they would have a spiritual meaning, Okay. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times when you're reading through those, you're, you're kind of like, hmm, you know, what exactly was Jesus meaning? And, and Jesus said that would happen, actually. He, he even said that, that, that a lot of times a parable would, would disclose the truth. It would hide the truth from those who weren't really willing to obey it. You know, just they, they, they weren't interested in obeying Jesus. They, they were interested in trapping him or, or, or accusing him. And, and so he used parables a lot for different reasons. Now, today... Our job is super easy, okay? You know why it's super easy? Because before Jesus even tells the parable, Luke tells us the meaning. Isn't that great? I, I wish I would have had teachers like that in school who would have gave me the answer before I got the test. I mean, that, that, that'd be awesome. And that, that's exactly what Luke does. So, so if you'll notice in verse 1, Luke says that Jesus told this parable to the effect that, and here's the answer, right? Like, this is what it ought to do in you and I. That what it ought to do is that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, okay? Not lose heart in their praying, all right? So, so this parable, the whole purpose of it is to stir up in you this, this willingness, this want to, to pray always and not give up in your praying, all right? So that's the meaning of the parable. That's the purpose of the parable, okay? 
So let's go ahead and read the parable, or let's look at the parable, let's walk through the parable with, with that in mind, that what Jesus is doing with this is he's stirring us in us a desire to pray always and to not give up in our praying. All right, so what's the parable? Well, we got a helpless widow, okay? In Jesus' day, widows were often people who had no resources. They had no one to help them. Many times women could not get employment, and a woman whose husband died, that maybe didn't have any children or her children had passed away, would literally be without anyone to help, without any assistance, without any way to have her needs met, okay? So what you have is a needy widow, all right? And the only person she can come to is the judge of her city, okay? So there's a judge who's supposed to, like, settle quarrels, and if there's been an injustice, if someone's been taken advantage of, if someone's been cheated, if someone's been robbed, which it sounds like this widow had. She'd been cheated, she'd been robbed, she'd been taken advantage of, and and she was in need. And so the judge was supposed to handle that. But she's in a terrible spot. Because this judge is a wicked guy. If you'll, if you'll notice, verse 2 says two things about this guy. It says he doesn't fear God and he does not respect man. All right? So, so this widow is in what you could call the worst possible scenario. She has a great need. She's been cheated. She's been robbed of justice. And the only person she can come to is a guy that doesn't care about justice. It says he doesn't fear God. He didn't care about what's right. He didn't care about what's just. He didn't care about the law. He's a man who does not fear God. And not only does he not fear God, he doesn't respect men. All right, so, so he, he's not compassionate. He doesn't care if people are cheated or hurt or neglected. He has no sense of duty. This widow is in the absolute worst possible situation, and she only has one thing at her disposal. She's got one weapon. She's got one tool. She's got one thing going for her. The only thing this gal has going for her is relentless persistence. Okay, She can't go anywhere else. There's no one else to help. She doesn't have money to, to hire a lawyer. She's got no children to advocate on her behalf or a husband to advocate on her behalf. She is all alone. She only has one tool, and that one tool is she's going to keep coming. She's going to be relentless. She's going to keep asking, all right? Now, at first, it doesn't work, okay? So notice in verse 3, it says, There was a widow in their city who had kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice. She keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. But verse 4 says, notice verse 4, it says, At first, for a while, he refuses, all right? So she pleads with him. She comes to his courtroom, pleads her case. He says, Get this gal out of here. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about her. I don't care about her case. I don't care about what's right. And, but she keeps coming. She comes to the courthouse the next day. They won't let her in the courthouse this time. So she's there the next day at the steps. She's there when he leaves. She's there when he goes for lunch. She follows him to his favorite diner. She's there pressed up against the glass looking in the window as he's trying to eat his pork chop. You know, there she is. Give me justice. It says she kept coming. She's there when he goes and plays golf. He pulls back his swing on the fourth hole and all he can hear is give me justice, right? She's there at the country club. She's there when he's getting a haircut. She's there when he goes home at night. She's there when he leaves in the morning and she just keeps coming. She keeps asking. She keeps asking. She keeps asking for justice. 
justice. She is relentless. And finally, the judge comes to a realization. Has it ever happened to you? You change your mind about something? He changes his mind about something, okay? So in verse 4, it says, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, I don't care about what's right, I don't care about this lady, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. He says, I'm, I'm going to do what is right. Even though I don't care what, about what is right, even though I don't care about her, I'm going to advocate for her. I'm going to give her what she needs because of her persistence. All right? Now, what should we learn from this? Again, what's, what's, what's Luke already told us is the point? The point is, what's this supposed to do in you? It's supposed to cause you to always pray and not give up in your praying, okay? That's what it ought to be doing, okay? So let, let's, let's see what Jesus says about this, okay? So in verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, verse 7, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You see, what, what Jesus says about this story is that if the widow was in the worst possible scenario and she got what she needed through relentless persistence, if you as a born-again believer, you as a child of the king are in the best possible scenario, how much more should you pray? That's his point. That's the point of the parable. You see, Jesus is not comparing God to this unrighteous judge. Some parables do that, right? So, so like... Um, Parable of the prodigal son. How about that one? Remember that, that, that parable where there's a father and, and the son goes off into a land and he squanders his inheritance and he, he has loose living and he finds himself with the pigs and he wakes up and finally like, man, I'm going to go home to my dad. And, and there the dad is waiting for him, looking for him from afar, runs out, grabs him, hugs him, you know, puts a ring on his finger, robe on his back. And, and what's that? What are, you supposed to, what are you supposed to get from that parable? God is like that father, right? God is like that father. In this parable, God is not like the judge. That's not the point of it. The point is, God couldn't be less like the judge, right? The point of the parable is, if this widow, in the worst possible scenario, received justice because she cried out, she came day after day after day and called out for justice. If she received justice, then how much more will you receive what you need since you're not in the worst possible scenario, you're in the best possible scenario. You see, God is not at all like that unrighteous judge. In fact, God is the opposite of him. God is a lavishly merciful king. Man, I just love meeting with my groups of guys during the week because I get to read lots of passages of the Bible. And this week we're in Ephesians 1. And I, I just love this, these couple verses. Verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to. All right, look at this. The riches of his grace. God is, is rich in grace. Verse 8, which he has lavished upon us. Okay, What kind of God do you serve here this morning? You serve a God who is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich beyond imagination in resources. And he is ready to give those to you lavishly. Okay, To give you what you need. The Bible says that God is a good father. He's a father who gives what we need. In Luke chapter 11, 
Luke chapter 11, verse 12, it says, uh, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's the kind of Father you have, is a Father who knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to lavish upon you all that is good for you. Now, He's not going to give you things that aren't good for you, right? Why? Because a good Father doesn't do that. I was, I was walking around greeting people in the 830 service during the welcome time, and I went back there, and somebody brings this big bag of candy to the sound booth, uh, maybe it's there all the time, I don't know, but it's there in the 8.30 service, and all the adults were out of the booth. What do you think happened? Huh? Does anybody have any wild guesses, right? So my son is one of the ones in there, my five-year-old, and you know what he's doing? He got him a piece of candy, right? Okay, that's fine, right? What else is he doing? He is jamming his pockets, like every everywhere he can put candy, he is putting it in, right? Now, a good father is lavish, but not to the rotting out of your teeth, right? Like, so what did I, as a good father, I said, look, you can have one of those two. I think I maybe gave him two. That's pretty lavish. All right, the rest of those are going back in the bag, right? Our father is the same way. Luke 11 says he knows how to give what you need. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Man, I love that verse. It's his good pleasure. God is not up there saying, oh, you're asking again? No, it actually, the Bible says, it is God's pleasure. It is his joy to give you what you need. You're not a widow coming to an unrighteous judge that you have to go back to again and again as he looks at you with scorn and hatred, not wanting to give you what you need. No, that's not you. You're coming to a father who is merciful and gracious, rich in mercy, who gives lavishly, and it is his pleasure, it is his delight to hear you, okay? You, that's who you are. You are his elect. You're his chosen ones, and, and it is his delight to give to you. So again, what should we learn from this? Well, notice verse 7, okay? Verse 7 says, Will not God give justice to his elect, that's us, his people, who cry to him day and night? Day and night. Day and night. Okay, now my mind's starting to go a little bit, all right? I'm starting to think, okay, so the purpose of this parable is what? That we would what? Pray always and not lose heart in our praying, right? That's the, Luke told us that. That's not Jason. That's, that's Luke writing this gospel who says, this is why Jesus told this parable, that you would pray always and not lose heart. Now, now here's what I'm trying to figure out for me, and I hope you try to figure this out for you. What does it mean to pray always, and what does it mean to not lose heart in your praying? Okay, that's what this is supposed to do in us. It's supposed to produce that, okay? Now, Jesus just said that what, what ought to happen is the elect, the chosen people of God, ought to cry out to God day and night. Okay, we get a little hint there, right? Day and night. But I'm still thinking, what does it mean to pray always? And you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid if we don't stop right now and spend a little time looking at the Bible and what it says about prayer, I'm afraid that you and I, might easily justify ourselves right out of what Jesus intends this parable to do, okay? Because you, you know what I found about Christians? Christians are real vague about their prayer life, okay? How much do you pray, you know? Can you even answer that question? Like, I don't know that, can, can we answer that question? I don't know that we can answer that question. What does it mean to pray always? You, you, know, what, you know what my experience with people is? My experience is, is that, 70 to 80% of the lost people, okay, people that don't know Jesus that I talk to, when I ask them about their spiritual life, you know what they say to me? They say this, something to this effect, I pray all the time. I pray, I pray every day. 
I, I pray throughout the day, all day long. I, I can't tell you how many people who do not know Jesus tell me that, okay? So is that, is that what Luke's talking about here? When Luke writes this parable to, his, to Jesus' people, or when Jesus speaks it and Luke writes it down, is the purpose that you pray always and not lose heart, is it, is it that you pray that way? You see, what does that even mean? I pray all day. I, I don't know. I, it could mean things like this. It could mean that when you get frustrated with the kids, right, and they spill that milk all over the counter, and you're like, God, why? You know, and you're like, see, I pray all day, right? Or when the lawnmower won't start, you know, and you pull about 10 times, and you're like, Lord, could you please help me? See, I pray all day. Or in the morning, right before your grapefruit, Lord, thank you for this food, you know? And at lunchtime, at McDonald's, when you got your Big Mac, you know, Lord, thank you for my Big Mac. And at supper time, well, how about snacks man let's put snacks in there right twinkie in the afternoon lord thank you for this twinkie you know supper time at night lord thank you for this roast beef sandwich you know before i go to bed god bless the kids is that praying always is that all is that all luke wants from us here is that why he writes this passage does he write this passage about this widow who cries out relentlessly who leaves her house early in the morning and comes back late at night so she can pester the judge all day long does he write that to us and then say I'm writing that to you so that you would never give up in your praying. Is he writing that to us so that we can pray like that? Is that what he mean by pray always? Is it throughout the day? I'm like, hey, Lord, help me with this. God, I pray that that light would turn green. God, I, I pray that get that person out from, my, ah, this carpool line is terrible. God, help me not kill anybody. Is that what Luke's talking about? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think it is, okay? I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm afraid that some people might think I am. I'm just trying to question for my own self. Like Luke already told me what this should do in me. It should cause me to pray always. I kind of want to know what that means. Like I want to live that out. Whatever pray always means and not lose heart in prayer, I, I want that, okay? So, so here's what I'd like to do if you'd go on this little journey with me, Okay? Let's go on a journey throughout the Bible, and let's just look at what, what did it look like when people prayed in the Bible, okay? We'll pick the good people. We won't pick Herod and Nebuchadnezzar. We'll, we'll, pick, we'll pick, you know, saints, all right? So let's, let's, let's take a journey through the Bible. What do we see happening in the Bible in prayer? Okay, now, first of all, we absolutely do see shotgun prayers, okay? Now, I, I just heard that a long time ago. That's what I've called them ever since. I just mean a shotgun prayer is one of those things you, you just fire up, you know? Like, like you're just going on with your day. You fire. I was driving from the, uh, the Lincoln campus to Kansas campus after the, after the 830 service, and I saw somebody. I don't even remember who I saw right now, but I saw somebody, and, and I, just, I just shot up a prayer for him. you know? I was just like, oh, man, God, I'm, I, can't, I don't even remember what I prayed, but I prayed something for somebody as I, as I passed them going to the other campus. Okay, that's a shotgun prayer, right? Um, when, you, when, you're, when you're getting ready to head into a conversation that you, you need help with, you shoot a prayer up, right? So those, those are biblical. I, I say they're biblical because we find them in Nehemiah. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter uh, 2, verse 4, Nehemiah has been wanting to talk to the king for a long time, and he's never had an opportunity. And finally, in Nehemiah 2, he gets an opportunity. And listen what happens here. So verse 4, it says, And the king said to me, What are you requesting? He gets his opportunity. What are you requesting? And it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, and then he gives his request. Now, how many of you think, that, that finally he's waited months for this opportunity to talk to the king, and now finally the king recognizes him and says, Nehemiah, what would you like to request? How many of you think he's, he said, 
well, hold on, king. I'm going to go back to my house, get in my prayer closet. I'm going to pray for an hour, and then I'm going to come back to the palace, and I'll let you know what I need. I don't think he did that, do you? You know what I think he did? I think he shot up a prayer right in his mind, right there, right? Lord, please, this is my opportunity. Give me favor with the king. And then he gave his request, okay? So we absolutely see shotgun prayers, okay? Now, what we also see is occasion-specific prayers, all right? Now, what an occasion-specific prayer is, is that you run across an occasion in which it is appropriate for you to pray. I've had several of those already this morning. I had one in the early service where, where a lady asked me to pray for her, and so I just stopped, and I, and I prayed for her right there. I had one in the Kansas campus where a person didn't ask, but I know they've been struggling, and so I just came up. It happened to be just, just me and, and them kind of in an area where nobody else was, and I took the time to pray for them. Okay, we see those in the Bible. So in in James chapter 5, it says, Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so, so there's, there's an admonition there that we ought to pray when we have an occasion to pray. In other words, somebody's sick, somebody's in trouble, somebody's in trial, right? So we got shotgun prayers, we've got occasion prayers, and now we have, we have what I would call regular time with God prayers, okay? So lots of those in the Bible. So in Acts 3, 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, okay? So at uh, about 3 in the afternoon, Peter and John, evidently it was their habit, it was their habit to go to the temple and pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right? So these guys have made a plan. They meet up. They're like, hey, at 3, let's meet. We'll go pray. And they go to the temple, and they prayed for an hour, all right? So it was their time with God. In Acts chapter 10, we find Peter at the house of one of his friends, a guy named Simon the Tanner. And, and Peter's there, and it says the next day in verse nine, or, uh, Acts 10, 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. While they were there preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and it talks about what Peter saw. Now, what, what, what did we learn from that? Well, we learned that Peter had times throughout the day where he would get away from everybody and go pray, okay? Now, this is not a shotgun prayer. You know why? Because you can, you can fire them off right where you are, right? You're probably doing some right now, right? You, 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 know, you, you can do those anywhere. But Peter goes up on the roof of the house. Why? To get away from everybody, right? To get a little time alone, and then he's praying. And he's, we, we don't know how long he's up there, but he's up there long enough to get hungry, and to ask for something to eat, and then while they're preparing it, how long does it take to prepare a meal? Depends, right? Macaroni and cheese in the microwave, 15 minutes, right? Steak dinner, an hour, I, I don't know, right? Some things are long. Beer rocks, couple hours, right? Now, how, I don't know what they were making, but however long they made, he went back up and was praying again, right? And that's when he, so we see that the apostles had times during their day when they would go off either by themselves or with other people, and have extended times of prayer. What about Jesus? How many of you think it would be a good idea for us to look at Jesus' prayer life, right? I think that would be a good idea. So here, here's a couple things that we learned from Jesus' prayer life. We learned that he often prayed early in the morning by himself. So in Mark chapter 1, if you read the context, he's at a killer day. He's had all kinds of people flocking to him. And then late in the night, he enters the city, and everybody from the city comes, and it says he healed all the diseases and cast out demons. And so he's there late into the night. And then verse 35 says, rising early, very early, actually it says, rising very early in the morning. Now, how early is very early in the morning? Well, some of you are saying that's 9.30, right? Okay, 
We know it's not, all right? We know it's not. Let me tell you why. Because the rest of the verse says, while it was still dark, okay? Early in the morning, while it was still dark, and he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, what do we know about that? Well, we know that Jesus, it was going to be an extensive enough prayer time that he went out to a desolate place. He hikes out of the city. He goes out of where he's at. He takes great lengths to get somewhere by himself. And in fact, if you read the rest of that text, he stays there so long, they come and find him. They've got to come and find him. And they say, Jesus, everybody's up. Everybody's gathered. They're all back. We're ready to do it all again right? So Jesus went off by himself early in the morning to spend extended times in prayer. If you remember in Matthew 26, at the end of Jesus' life, the night before his crucifixion, he eats supper with his disciples. They have the, the Lord's Supper, the, uh, uh, the Last Supper, and then they go to the garden by themselves, right? They go out to the garden. It's dark. It's night. It's late in the evening, and they pray there. Now, how long did they pray? I don't know, but I know this. Jesus asked his disciples to pray, and then he goes off and prays, and then he comes back, and he finds them asleep. It's enough time for them to go to sleep, and he says, could you not watch for me one hour? So we think it was probably about an hour between the first time and the second time. And then he goes off again. And he's gone long enough to what happens? They go back to sleep, right? And he's got to wake them again and encourage them to pray. And then he goes off again. And he's gone long enough that they go to sleep again. So we know that before his crucifixion, we know Jesus spent extended time in prayer. In Luke chapter 6, before Jesus actually chose his disciples, we read this verse. In verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. All right, so we, we know as a fact from that verse that Jesus spent nights in prayer. Now, did anybody else in the early church in the New Testament spend all night in prayer? Well, yes, okay? I actually think probably lots of people did. I, I think that because they're still doing that. When we go to India, I know the churches we're involved with there, one in particular, uh, Joseph is up in Medec, and, and his network of churches, he's planted a church in Medec, and then he's got church planters that have gone all out to these villages to plant churches. And once a month, all those villages, all those churches, not all the villages, all the churches in all those villages, they come together on Saturday night, they gather at Joseph's church, they pray all night long, they, they worship all morning long, they have a big meal together, and then they go home. And they do that once a month. So Christians are still doing that, and they were doing that back in New Testament times. How do we know? Acts 12. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. You remember this story? Cool story. He's in prison. They've got him shackled, chained to a soldier down in the dungeon, and in the middle of the night, an angel wakes him up. Remember, strikes him, wakes him up. The shackles fall off of him. He says, get your coat. He gets his coat. They walk out of the prison. Remember the doors open for him? He walks right out into the street. And in verse 12, he says, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. Now, why would he go to Mary's house? If you, if you got woken up in the middle of the night and, and you were out in the street and it's two in the morning, you know, and you'd been delivered... Would, would you naturally go to Bonnie's house, you know? Would you naturally go to Fred's house? Would you naturally go to Shelby's house? You know, you probably wouldn't unless you knew something was going on there, right? And there was something going on there. Verse 12 says, They went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many people had gathered together and were praying. He knew they were there. He knew they were there praying all night long. The New Testament church prayed throughout the night. 
How about Nehemiah? Let's go back to Nehemiah. He's a shotgun prayer guy, but he's also an extended time of prayer guy. In Nehemiah 1.4, as soon as he hears the words about Jerusalem being destroyed, it says he wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, how long is days? I don't know, but I do know from English class, and I wasn't great at English, but I do know that days means more than one, right? So Nehemiah prayed and fasted for more than one day, for several days, maybe multitudes of days. This one's going to blow you away. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Moses is praying for the people. He's praying for the people because God's going to destroy them because they have turned idolatry again and again and again. This is right after the golden calf incident. And verse 25 says of Moses, I lay prostrate before the Lord for these, are you reading that? For these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And then Moses says, and I prayed to the Lord, oh Lord God, do not destroy your people. And he goes on and talks about his prayer. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses was laying prostrate on the mountain, praying for the children of Israel that God would not destroy them. Okay, now friends, here's what I'm believing, okay? As I look at all of that, I don't know what conclusions you're coming to, but as I look at all that, and I hear Luke 18 tell me that the reason for that parable is that I pray always and not lose heart in prayer, I don't think he means mealtime prayers. Those are good. You should keep doing them. I should keep doing them. They're really important. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't, I don't think he's talking about shotgun prayers. I don't think he's talking about me driving to the other campus and seeing somebody and being like, man, God, I pray for that guy. I pray you work in his heart today. I, 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 those are good. Should I keep doing those? Yes, more, right? I don't think that's what he means. I, I actually think he's not talking about this casual lifestyle of giving God a few moments a few times a day. That just doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with what he's saying here. I think he's actually talking about Carving out significant time in your life to be with God. Now, the other reason I, I think that is because what would Luke tell us the purpose of this parable was? Always pray. And what was the second thing? Don't lose heart. You know what don't lose heart means? It means don't give up. It means don't lose your enthusiasm. Don't lose your energy. Don't lose your will. Don't quit. And, and so here's what I'm saying. If he's just talking about like dinnertime prayers can't get the mower started prayers, shotgun prayers. Do I really have to be encouraged not to give up? Do you have to be encouraged not to give up when things aren't hard? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you're driving down Main Street here in a minute, and you see somebody, somebody you know, and they're just strolling down Main. They're doing this number, hands in pockets. They stop for a little bit, look inside Persimmon Creek, the first service, I said South Persimmon. That'd be a long ways to look. Persimmon Creek, I was just trying to think of businesses. You know, go a little further, look inside Pollyanna, see who's eating in there. They're strolling down. They get to that stoplight. They stop. Would you ever pull up beside them, roll down your window, and yell, Don't stop! Don't quit! You can do it! Give it all you got! Don't lose heart! Don't give up! You got it in you! Would you do that? That'd be silly, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be silly? They'd look at you like, what is wrong with them? That'd be silly. But what if, let's, let's change it. What if you're in Oklahoma City, downtown Oklahoma City in April, and it's the day of the Oklahoma City Marathon, and you're in that last couple blocks. You're, you're standing on the side of the road in the last couple blocks before the finish line. And here comes these runners. And you're yelling, 
Don't give up. You can do it. Don't lose heart. Give it all you got. Does it make sense? It makes perfect sense, right? Everybody's doing that. That's what you should do. You know why? They're doing something hard and a little crazy. They're doing something hard, though, right? Like it's hard. And so that, all right, so, so if Jesus tells us this parable, and the point of the parable is to always pray and not lose heart, then I think he's talking about a kind of prayer that is hard, right? Are you, are you with me? Yeah, a kind of prayer that's hard, a kind of prayer that you're tempted to want to give up, that you're tempted to want to quit. I don't think he's talking about a casual lifestyle of prayer. I don't think that's what Jesus did. I, th- I think Jesus prayed late into the night. I think he prayed early into the morning. I think he prayed all night before he chose his disciples and hours into the night before he was arrested. He prayed for 40 days and 40 nights during his temptation. The apostles did the same. The, the early Christians were devoted to prayer. Romans 12, 12, Paul says, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. I think that's the kind of prayer they're talking about. Now, if you agree with me, okay, if you agree with me, then here's, here's, here's what I'm convicted of today. I need to give exceptional effort to my prayer life, okay? I'm just telling you about me right now. Like when I read that, I'm like, okay, Lord, what I've been doing is not sufficient. Like Jesus is telling me this parable. He's telling me I'm coming before a good and righteous judge who is lavish and generous. And so that should cause me to pray always and not give up. And I should pray the kind of prayer that's hard. I should meet with God. All right, now my second question, maybe this is your second question, if you're with me so far, is how do I do that? How do I I peel off out of my day and go, go pray for an hour like Peter and John did? How do I peel off early in the morning and pray a couple hours before it even light? Like, what do I say? I think that's a good question. Like, how how do we pray that way, right? Do we we just get a mantra? Have have you guys ever, have you ever seen like Hindus and Buddhists do that mantra thing? Like you just, you get one thing and you just like chant it, you know? Cadillac, 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 you know? Is Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Like two hours of that business, you know? Buddhists and Hindus, they've even got the prayer wheels. Have you seen those dudes? They'll spin those suckers, you know. Every time the deal goes around, man, it shoots up prayers. Man, I just put them on my tires. That's what I do, you know. Just everywhere I go, bam, 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 shooting up prayer. Is that, is that what Jesus, that's not what Jesus wants. How, how do we know that? Well, in Matthew, we know that first of all because it's kind of silly, but let's just Matthew 6, Jesus says, When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard by their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Then He teaches us how to pray. So I, 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 don't, I don't think what they're doing all night is, is a chant or a mantra. I think they're doing something similar to what you have in your bulletin. Okay? Not, not like this wheel, like they didn't have this picture. But the elements that are in here, Do you see what they are? Praise, waiting, confession, read the word, petition, intercession, pray the word, thanksgiving, singing, meditate, listen. You know know where whoever made this, you know where they got those? They got those from the Bible, okay? There's a book in your Bible. It's called Psalms, okay? And it's got 150 chapters. And in those 150 chapters are songs and prayers to God. And they teach us how to pray. 
They teach us how to spend time with God. So, so for instance, one of the things the Bible says to do is to praise Him, all right? So, so like, I just opened up Psalm 18. You could do this in your Bible. You could open up to any of them. But Psalm 18 says this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, and he's my fortress, and my deliverer, and my God, and my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What's he doing? He's praising God, isn't he? He's saying, God, you're a rock for me. Man, you're immovable. God, you're a fortress. You're somewhere I can go, and I can be safe. God, you're, you're a stronghold. You, you're, you fight my battles. You, you, you're, you're the one who takes care of my enemies. God, I pray. He's praising God, isn't he? What, what was Peter doing there all, all night long? You know, what, what, what was the church praying? They, they were doing things like this. They were praising God. They were thanking God. Man, all through the Psalms, you have multiple illustrations of, of thanksgiving. But I like to turn to the epistles. Here's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He's praying for his church. And he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. Paul says, every time I think about my church in Philippi, he says, I just, I got to thank God. I got to stop and I got to thank him for these people that are in the church and just what they meant to me and how they've ministered to me and what you you've done in their life. Thanksgiving was a regular part of Paul's prayers. You can read it all through his epistles. How about meditating? There's, there's a little slot on here for meditating. Yeah, man, we're, we're, we're ranching people, right? We're farming people, right? Best illustration for, for uh, meditation is what cows do every day. They go and they get that grass and they chew on it and chew on it and they take it down and then they're like, that's not enough. I'm bringing it back up, and I'm doing it over again, right? And they chew on it some more, and they take it down, and they bring it back up. That's actually the Latin word for meditation is the word for a cow chewing his cud. And that's, that's what we do when we meditate. You, you take Psalm 18, for instance, you're like, Lord, you're my rock. What does that mean? You know, and you got your pen and your paper there, and man, God is a rock. That means he's immovable. That means he's my foundation. That means I can stand upon him. That means in the storm, he's not going to get blown away. That means if I'm, if I'm attached to him, I won't get blown. What are we doing? We're meditating. We're bringing that up, and we're, we're thinking about what the, what, what the Bible says, the truths of God. We're meditating on the scriptures. I know that's what they were doing because Psalm 1-2 says that's what blessed people do. I know that Jesus did it. I know that Peter did it. I know that Paul did it. Because Psalm 1 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Those guys were blessed guys, so that's what they were doing. They were meditating. What else were they doing? Well, they were petitioning things for themselves. You ought to pray for yourselves. I hear people say sometimes, well, I don't pray for myself because I'm okay and I need to pray for other people. No, the Bible commands you, you ought to pray for yourself. When Jesus taught us to pray, what did he say? He said, pray like this. Give us our, 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 our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for our daily needs. You should come to God for what you need, knowing that all good gifts come from him. In Colossians, this is one of my favorite prayers of the Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 4, in verse uh, 3, I think it is, he says, at the same time, pray also for us. So this is something Paul prays for himself. He says that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of whom I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, man, pray for me that God would open a door for the word and that he would help me make it clear. Paul prayed for himself. In the Bible, they prayed for other people. What were they doing all night in Acts 12? They were praying for Peter. They were praying for the church. They were praying for their enemies. They were praying for other people. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible of you interceding for other people. One of my favorites, and, and it's in Ephesians 1 again. 
It is where Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, and here's what he prays. He says in verse uh, 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. One of these sections in here is to pray the word. So if I were doing that right now, I would read that verse that I just read, and I would pray the word for somebody. I would say, God, I just pray for Logan, that you would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, help him to know you. And then I'd go to the next phrase. With the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. God, I pray for Logan, that he would have the hope, that he would know the hope to which you've called him into. Next phrase. Um, That he would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And I'd pray the word. I'd intercede. I would pray prayers of the Bible for other people. What else is in here? Well, you'll notice there's three things that may be a little hard for you or two things that may be a little hard for you. Listening and waiting. Okay, there's a category for listening and there's a category for waiting. We're not very good at that, are we? We're good at talking, not so much at listening. But, but the Bible says you ought to listen to God. The Bible says over and over again in the Old Testament, wait upon the Lord. Wait upon Him. That means you ought to have time carved out in your life where you're actually listening. You start out praising Him, and you start out confessing your sins, and you start out you know, giving thanks, and, and you read the Word, and you meditate upon it, and then pretty soon you're like, okay, I, I need to stop talking. I need to start listening. Right, what I like to do is have my, have my notebook there, something to write with. Because if God speaks to me, by golly, I want to write that down. I don't trust my memory very well. Do you trust yours? Man, like, like for real, like there's times, where, there's times where I've got this great thought you know, I don't know if this ever happened to you. This great thought. A lot of times it's, it's right before I go to bed. I have this great thought for a sermon. And I think, man, I'm going to work on that tomorrow. I get up the next morning. I'm like, whoa, what's that thought? You know, it's gone. So, man, when God speaks, I, I want to write it down. And so, like, like, I'm just listening. You know, what, what, if, what if I don't hear anything? Hey, I, I think I ought not demand things of God. I think I just listen. All right, listening. It's, it's, it's in there. That's what they were doing. What else were they were doing? They were worshiping. You know, there's, there's a little category in here for singing. We just did that. We're going to do that here some more in a second. But is it okay for you guys to sing praise to Jesus at home? Is that legal? I think it is. I, I think it's a shame that I pull up beside people at stoplights all the time and they're jamming out to Beyonce, all right? I think we ought to jam out to Jesus, right? I think we ought to sing. I think we ought to sing praise to him. Were, 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 were people in the Bible doing that? Well, there's a whole 150 chapters of Psalms. Evidently, they were doing it. David, most of David's songs, he's singing them to himself. He's singing them to the Lord by himself. There's something that stirs the heart about singing praise to Jesus. Man, I, I, if your heart feels dead, man, one of the things you ought to, you ought to tackle in your time with the Lord is, is worship. I was, uh, was driving to Ace Hardware yesterday. Had Asher in the back. And he's got about four songs that he really likes. So I keep them at the top of my playlist. And I said, I said what do you want to listen to? And he picked one. And so I, I, I hit it. And it was uh, Raise a Hallelujah. And, uh, man, it's, it's a great song. There's a gal on there that when she sings, man, my heart is stirred. I, she's a little wild, but I kind of think she's like David, you know. Like, like you kind of want to follow her when she sings. You know, she means it. And, and that song got over. And I said, you like that song, don't you, buddy? He said, yeah. He said, Dad, it. He said, it makes my tummy hurt. And I said, what? I said, are you sick? I'm thinking, I'm pulling over if he's going to puke, you know. I said, are you sick? And he said, no. He said, it's like, it's like little, what did he say? It's like little tingles, little nails or little, he said something. And I said, little nails? And I said, are, are you hurt? And he said, no. He said, it's making me stronger. And I don't know what he meant. I, he's five. 
I don't know. I think, I think what he was describing is, have you ever been like stirred up emotionally over a song? I think that's what he was saying. Now, I'm not saying that he got the song. In fact, I don't know that he did. Um, two, I just two weeks ago, probably we were driving to softball and we were listening to uh, "Fight My Battles" by Michael W. Smith. It's a real simple song. Is this is how I fight my battles? Is it talking about praise and worship? This is how I fight my battles. And and I look back there in the car and it's, it kind of builds. And and he's back there. You know, um, let's see, how's it go? Uh, anyway, he's like he's like singing it. You know. He's real intent, and so I, I, I kind of turned it down, and I said, I said, man, I said, isn't it cool, buddy? I'm doing the dad thing. Uh, isn't it cool, buddy, that, you know, when we have problems in life, when we have struggles, when we have battles, that God will help us, you know, that he'll, he'll come in and, and help us with our challenges and our, our hard things? He's like, yeah, and kill bad guys, <laughs> you know. I thought, well, it's in the Old Testament, you know. And uh, I guess what I'm saying is, I, the deal yesterday, I don't know exactly what he was expressing, but I think what he was saying was, Dad, I'm stirred up on the inside, worshiping with that song. I think you ought to do it. There's two factors that will cause you to lose heart. Okay, so what, what, was, what was the point of, uh, what would Luke tell us the, the point of this parable was? Always pray and not lose heart. I think there's two factors that will cause you to lose heart. Number one, when you don't deeply desire the things of God. You guys remember that, um, that story about uh, blind Bartimaeus? It's in Mark 10. And uh, <laughs> I love it because blind Bartimaeus, he's a beggar, and, he's, and he's, uh, he's by the road, and he hears Jesus coming by, and he starts just crying out. You know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's just crying out, crying out, crying out. And, and everybody's telling him to be quiet. You know, they're all telling him, be quiet, be silent. Quit, quit, quit yelling, and he won't quit. And finally, Jesus stops and says, have that guy come over here. The guy leaps to his feet and comes over, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want my sight, Lord. And Jesus is like, here's your sight, go. So he leapt to his feet and followed Jesus. I guess what I see from that is when you really want the things of God, nothing can keep you quiet. Nothing can keep you from prayer. <laughs> he, he, no matter what distractions, man, when you really want, when you really want holiness, when you really want the, the, the presence of God, when you really want the joy inexpressible that Peter talks about in 1 Peter, man, there's, there's nothing that can keep you from prayer. I think the other factor in losing heart is, honestly, idols. Whenever we start coming to entertainment to make us okay inside, or comfort, or money, or pleasure, I think we're coming to the wrong place. You, you guys remember in Revelation where Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea and he says, you, you think you got it all. You think you're rich. You think you're, he says, you're, you're, you're wretched, poor, blind, and naked. So come to me. See, a lot of times I think, I think we're trying to fill our life with this other stuff and that's what weeds prayer out. It's because we're, we're trying to solve our issues through food or drink or sex or money or power, and it keeps us from coming to God. But man, I think when, when we get desperate for Him, we'll always pray and we'll not give up. So all that to say, 
I hope you'll try this. I hope, you, I hope you'll set aside an hour. If you're a person, you're like, man, I already pray. I pray two hours every morning. Awesome. Why don't you try three? You know, I think that's the spirit of this. Always pray and not lose heart. But if, if you're a person that, man, you've, just, you've always just had a casual lifestyle of kind of shotgun prayers and meal prayers and maybe family prayers, all awesome things that you should continue to do and do even more. But would you, would you actually try to set aside some big chunks of time just to be with the Lord and to, and to work through these things and to hear His voice? You know, it's interesting. Did you notice how the parable ends? In Luke 18, the last, last verse of the parable, it says, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? That seems like a funny ending, doesn't it? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's not when you read this thing in context, because all the end of chapter 17 is about Jesus coming. And then he tells us prayer that his people ought always to pray and not give up. And I think what he's saying is there's a connection between persevering in prayer and faith and making it to the end. I really think those are connected. Father, I, I ask you for help today. God, that we would, uh, we would step up to a, a new level of, of just being with you and, and calling out to you and, and spending time with you and hearing your voice and praising your name and giving you thanks and confessing our sins and singing your praise and meditating upon your word and praying the word. God, I'm just asking you to, to meet us this week. God, would you meet us? Would you make our, our times with you just dynamic? God, would you give us persistence so that even when it's hard, even when it's dry, even when it's, we're struggling, God, that we would not give up in that, but that we would persevere. Father, I'm, I'm asking you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.